0: chapter twenty two of darnley by g p r james this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter twenty two gloucester talking of hawking nothing else my lord shakespeare on arriving at the palace sir osborne found that he had been sent for by the king and hurrying his steps towards the privy chamber he was met by henry himself bearing a hawk upon his hand and armed with a stout leaping-pole as if prepared for the field come sir knight cried the king if you would see sport follow quick Bennet has just marked a heron go down by the side of the river and i am resolved to fly young jacob here that his wings might not rust follow quick thus speaking the king made all speed out of the palace and cutting partly across the park and round the base of the hill soon reached the edge of the river where slower progress became necessary, and he could converse with the young knight without interrupting his sport. Their conversation, however, was solely about hawking and its accessories, and winding along the side of the sedges with which the bank was lined, they tried to raise the game by cries and by beating the rushes with the leaping-pole. For a long way no heron made its appearance, and Henry was beginning to get impatient, just in the same proportion as he had been eager in setting out. Unwilling, however, to yield his sport, after persisting some time in endeavouring with the aid of Sir Osborne, to make the prey take flight, he sent back the only attendant that had followed him for a dog, and went on slowly with the knight, pursuing the course of the river. When they had proceeded about two hundred yards, and had arrived at a spot where the bank rose into a little mound, the knight paused, while Henry, rather crossed with not having instantly met with the amusement he expected sauntered on bending his eyes upon the ground hist your grace hist cried sir osborne i have him where man where cried henry looking round without seeing anything odd's life where here your grace here replied the knight do you not see him with one leg raised and the claw contracted gazing on the water as intently as a lady in a looking-glass by that branch of a tree that is floating down ha yes yes cried henry the long neck and the blue back tis he whoop sir heron whoop cry him up maurice cry him up sir osborne joined his voice to the king's and their united efforts reached the ears of the long-legged fowl they were in search of he speedily spread his wings stretched out his neck and rose heavily from the water with a whoop and a cry the king slipped the jesses of his falcon and flew him after the heron who for a moment not perceiving the adversary that pursued him took his flight over the fields instead of rising high on went the heron on went the falcon and on went henry after them till coming to a little muddy creek which thereabouts found its way into the river the king planted his pole with his accustomed activity and threw himself forward for the leap unfortunately however at the very moment that his whole weight was cast upon the pole in the midst of the spring the wood snapped and in an instant sir osborne saw the king fall flat on his face and nearly disappear in the ooze and water with which the creek was filled henry struggled to free himself but in vain for the tenacity of the mud prevented his raising his head so that in another minute he must inevitably have been drowned had not sir osborne plunged in to his aid and lifted his face above the water thus giving him room to breathe short as had been the time however that respiration had been impeded the king's powers were nearly exhausted and even with the knight's assistance he could not raise himself from the position in which he had fallen though an unsafe experiment for both considering the mud and slime with which they were entangled "'Nothing remained for Sir Osborne but to take the king in his arms "'and endeavour to carry him to the bank. "'And this at length he accomplished, "'sometimes slipping and sometimes staggering, "'from the uncertain nature of the footing "'and the heavy burden that he carried. "'But still supported by his vast strength, "'he contrived to keep himself from falling, "'proceeding slowly and carefully forward, "'and assuring himself of the firmness of each step "'before he took another.' with a feeling of inexpressible gladness he seated henry on the bank and kneeling beside him expressed his hopes that he had received no injury no said the king faintly no but maurice you have saved my life thank god and thank you a pause now ensued and the young knight endeavoured as well as circumstances would permit to cleanse the countenance and hands of the monarch from the effects of the fall while he was thus employed the king gradually recovered his breath and strength and from time to time uttered a word or two of thanks or directions till at last bennett the attendant was seen approaching with the dog stay stay sir osborne said the monarch here comes bennett we will send him for fresh clothes where is the falcon by my faith i owe you much ay as much as life whistle for the falcon i have not breath sir osborne uttered a long falconer's whistle and in a moment the bird hovered above them, and perched upon the hand the monarch extended to it, showing by its bloody beak and claws that it had struck the prey. Nearly at the same time came up Bennet, who, as may be supposed, expressed no small terror and surprise at beholding the king in such a situation, and was preparing to fill the air with ejaculations and lamentations, when Henry stopped him in the midst. "'No, Bennet, no!' cried he keep all that for when i am dead quite ha man twill be time enough then thanks to sir osborne i am not dead at present here take this bird i have lost both hood and jesses in that foul creek Hie to the manor bennet and fetch me a large cloak with a hood and another for sir osborne we will not return all draggled with the ooze ha morris quick bennet but mind man not a word of this misadventure on your life "'Ah, your grace knows that I am discreet,' replied the footman. Ay, ah, as discreet as the babbling echo, or a jay, or a magpie,' cried Henry. "'But get thee gone, quick, and return by the path we came, for we follow slowly. "'Lend me your arm, Sir Osborne. We will round by yon little bridge.' "'A curse upon the leaping-pole,' say I. "'By my fay I will have all the creeks in England stopped. "'I owe my life to you, but hereafter we will speak of that. "'I will find means to repay it.' i am more than repaid your grace said sir osborne by the knowledge that but for my poor aid england might have lost her king and within a few hours the whole realm might have been drowned in tears ay poor souls i do believe they would regret me said the monarch for heaven knows it is my wish to see them happy a king's best elegy is to be found in the tears of his subjects sir osborne and every king should strive to merit their love when living and their regret when dead strange as it may seem to those accustomed to picture themselves henry the eighth as the sanguinary and remorseless tyrant which he appeared in later years such were the sentiments with which he set out in his regal career while youth prosperity and power were all in their first freshness twas the tale of a spoiled child which was always good-humoured when it was pleased now the first twelve years of henry's reign offered naught but pleasure and during their lapse, he appeared a gay, light-hearted, gallant monarch, fit to rule and win the hearts of a brave people, for nothing yet had arisen to call into action the mighty vices that lay latent in his nature. Gradually, however, luxury produced disease, and disease pain, and pain called up cruelty, while long prosperity and uncontradicted sway made him imperious, irascible, and almost frantic under opposition. But such was not the case now, and it was only the close observer of human nature that could at all perceive in the young and splendid monarch the traits that promised what he would afterwards become. Discoursing on the unlucky termination of their sport, Henry proceeded with Sir Osborne into the park, and there awaited the coming of the servant with their cloaks. Feeling a sort of foppish unwillingness to enter the palace in a state in which his fall had left him, his whole dress being stiff with mud and both face and hands in anything but a comely condition many men might have taken advantage of sir osborne's situation to urge their suit but notwithstanding the very great claim that the accident of the morning had given him upon henry the knight was hardly satisfied that it had occurred he deemed that in common decency he should be obliged to delay the communication which he had proposed to make that very evening and thereby allow Wolsey to arrive before the event was decided, which, for every reason, he had hoped to avoid. Were he to press his suit now, it would seem, he thought, surprising from the king's gratitude what his justice might have denied, and, indelicately, to solicit a high reward for an accidental service. His great hope, however, was that in the course of the evening the king might himself renew the subject, and, by offering some token of his thanks, afford him an opportunity of pleading for justice for his father and himself the discomfited falconers waited not long in the park before they were rejoined by the servant bearing their cloaks which the king had commanded but although they soon reached the palace the clammy wetness of his whole dress caused several slight shiverings to pass over the limbs of henry and after some persuasion by sir osborne he was induced to ask the counsel of his surgeon who recommended him instantly to bathe and then endeavour to sleep this was of course a signal for the young knight to withdraw and taking leave of the king he retired to his apartments to change his own dress which was not in a much more comfortable state than that of the monarch our old friend longpole soon answered to his call and while aiding him in his arrangements without any comment upon the state of his clothes which he seemed to regard as nothing extraordinary The honest custrel often paused to give a glance at his master's face, as one who has something to communicate, the nature of which may not be very palatable to the hearer. "'Well, Longpole,' said the knight, after observing several of these looks, "'when you have trussed these three points, you shall tell me what is the matter, for I see you have something on your mind.' "'I only wish to ask, Your Worship,' said the custrel, "'if you had seen him, for he's lurking about here like a blackbird under a cherry-tree.' seen whom demanded the knight why the devil your worship replied longpole i've seen him twice indeed said sir osborne and pray what did this infernal highness say to you when you did see him or rather what do you mean why i mean sir replied the other that i have seen sir payan Wilton twice here in the park during yesterday if it was not his ghost for he looked deadly pale and i fancy i could smell a sort of brimstoney smell "'Now I what a cunning priest would have told by the flavour "'whether twas purgatory half-and-half, half, or unadulterated hell. "'Though if he's not here, hell's empty.' "'Hush!' said Sir Osborne. "'Speak not so lightly. "'When was this?' "'The first time I saw him, sir,' answered the yeoman, "'was yesterday in the forenoon, soon after the justs "'when I took a stroll out into the park with Mistress Geraldine.' the lady katrine's maid for a little fresh air after the peck of dust i had broken my fast upon in the field we had got i don't know how your worship into that lonely part under the hill where beneath one of the trees hard by i saw Sopayen standing stock still with his hand in the bosom of his doublet his colour was always little better than that of a turnip but now it looked like turnip boiled did he speak to you demanded sir osborne or give any sign that he recognized you he did not speak replied longpole but when he saw me he quietly slipped his hound out of the bosom of his doublet and getting it down to the hilt of his poniard kept fingering it with a sort of affectionate squeeze as much as to say dearly beloved how i should like to pluck you out of your leathern case and furnish you with one of flesh and blood he was ever fond of playing with his poniard and when he spoke to you if you were but of sousing a toast he would draw it in and out of the scabbard all the time as though he were afraid of losing the acquaintance if he did not keep up the intimacy you neither spoke nor took any notice i hope said sir osborne oh no your worship answered the kustle i did not even give him bonjour though he was fond of talking french to me when he wished to say something privately i only twitched miss geraldine over to the other side and passed him by close thinking to myself if i see your dagger in the air i'll go nigh to sweep your head off with my broadsword if i have to run to france for it but seeing that i looked him in the face he turned him round upon his heel with a drawdown of the corner of his mouth which meant a great deal if it were rightly read why first it meant i hate you sufficiently to pretend to despise you then "'I'll murder you whenever I can do so safely.' "'And again it went to say, "'Give my best love to your master, "'and tell him he'll hear more of me soon.' "'By my faith a good reading, and I doubt not a true one,' replied the knight. "'But we must try and render his malice of no avail. "'And now tell me, when did you see him the second time?' "'The second time was after dinner, sir,' said Longpole when his grace the king, yourself, and the Duke of Suffolk, kept the barriers against all comers. "'He did not try the field, did he?' demanded Sir Osborne. "'Oh, no,' replied Longpole. "'He stood looking on at a good distance, wrapped up in a cloak, so that it needed sharp eyes to recognize him. But I saw him all the time fix his eyes upon you, so like a cat before a mouse-hole, that I thought every minute to see him overspring the barrier and take you by the throat.' depend upon it that good and honest knight like his german cousin satan never travels for any good and we shall hear more of him i doubt it not answered sir osborne and we must guard against him but now longpole a word or two to you did you give the packet as i directed you to mistress geraldine lady katrine's woman i did your worship answered longpole somewhat surprised at the serious air that came over his lord's countenance i gave it immediately i received it from your hands that was right replied sir osborne and now let me say to you my good hartley that i have remarked you often with this same girl geraldine and it seems to me that you are seeking her love oh good now your worship cried longpole if you prohibit me from making love it's all over with me indeed your worship i could not do without it it is meat drink and sleep to me better than a stirrup-cup when i rise in the morning or a sleeping-cup when i go to bed at night faith i could not sleep without being in love there when i was with sir payan where there was nothing to fall in love with but the portrait of his grandmother against the wall i could not sleep a night's at all and was forced to take to deer-stalking just for amusement odd's life your worship it's hard on me there you have a bellyful of love all day long from the highest ladies of the court "'and you would deny me as much "'as will lie in the palm of a serving-woman.' "'Nay, nay, Longpole,' said Sir Osborne, laughing. "'You have taken me up too hastily. "'All I meant to say was, merely, "'that seeing you are evidently seeking this poor girl's love, "'you must not play her false. "'I do not wish to imply that you would wrong her virtue. "'Of that I am sure you are incapable. "'But I mean you must not win her love, "'and then leave her for another.' "'Dear heart, no!' cried longpole i would not for the world poor little soul she has suffered enough so i'm now consoling her your worship it's wonderful how soon a broken heart is patched up with a little of the same stuff that broke it it is the very reverse of piecing a doublet for in love you mend old love with new and it's almost as good as ever however some days soon we intend to ask your worship's leave and the priest's blessing and say all those little odd little words that tie two folks together my leave and good wishes you shall have longpole replied the knight and all i can do to assist your purse hark is that not the trumpet to dinner give me my bonnet i will down and dine at the board of estate to-day as i was not there yesterday on descending to the hall sir osborne was instantly assailed by a thousand questions respecting the accident which had befallen the king for what between the diligent exertions of the attendants and those of the surgeon The news had already spread through the whole court. In reply, the knight gave as brief and exact an account of the whole occurrence as possible, endeavouring to stop the lying tongue of rumour by furnishing her with the truth, at least. After dinner, he returned to his own apartments, and only left them once for a momentary visit to Constance de Grey, remaining in hopes all the evening that the king might send for him when he arose. Such hopes, however, were in vain, day waned and night fell and the knight's suit was no farther advanced than when sir caesar warned him to hasten it in the morning chapter twenty two